I can't blame my wife for her lack of vision when I haven't manifested anything. What have you really given your wife to believe in? It's only dreams and only talk. You are listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with well-known YouTuber Glenn Henry of Belief in Fatherhood. He believes that your genius should be released in five stages. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back. This is part five of the Results Not Resolution series. This is what we do at the top of the year to make sure that we are not just writing out goals and saying that this is what we want to do, but that we understand who we have to become in the process to actually get the results that we want. And so this has been phenomenal. Last week, Monique Coleman shut it down with Peel Back the Layers. This has just been incredible. If you're new here, welcome. You definitely want to go back to the beginning of this series. The first Thursday of the year is when we kicked off. But I will say if you're new, you should really know something about us. We believe here that wealth is more than money and material possessions. It's actually about well-being at its core. And so you can go back to the beginning of this series, but I'm going to take it a step further. I want you to go back to the beginning of the podcast all the way back to 2017 and really learn more about our six foundational pillars. I call them the six pillars of wealth, because then you will understand why we talk about the different areas of life that we do, because I believe that as a financial expert for many years now, a decade now, that so many people don't understand the connection between how they live their lives and whether they can make and manage and maintain money successfully. And there is definitely a connection and we strive to make sure that we make that connection here each and every week. And I'm really excited about having Glenn Henry on. I got to see him break down these five stages we're going to talk about live at Patreon 2018 in Los Angeles. Phenomenal guy, wonderful story really passionate. You'll see in just a second, man, I think it's incredible. You know, I always tell you when you should write notes. So get ready to write some notes, uh, check out the show notes because this is going to be good. Before I get into Glenn though, I have to tell you, if you are in Florida, I need you to pay close attention because you know, I speak often with Paul Mitchell School, so grateful for that relationship. And they open up the doors to my audience to come hear me do this whole talk on redefining wealth live all over the country. And so I think I've been to maybe 12 or 13 schools at this point, and I'm excited to add the next three. So if you're in Orlando, Tampa, or Fort Myers, pay attention. I am coming the 19th through the 21st. I will be at each one of those locations. So if you want to come and hang out and you know learn more about redefining wealth in a live setting, we have a lot of fun. I promise you my corny jokes go over so much better on stage. I promise you that. But give me a hug, take pictures, whatever. Come and see me. I would love to be there with you. And if you're a purpose chaser, if you're in my Patreon community, make sure you raise your hand and let me know so that we can do our special meetup that I try to do in every city when I do this. But you got to let me know that you're there so I can plan ahead. February 19th, 20th, and 21st. Go to patricewashington.com backslash calendar. Is it back or forward? 
whatever, you know what I'm saying. PatriceWashington.com slash calendar, and you can get more details about the times and locations and all that great stuff. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Glenn Henry. In October of 2015, Glenn Henry launched his widely successful YouTube channel, Belief in Fatherhood, in which he tells honest stories about the ins and outs of being a dad. The channel's mission is to equip fathers, give hope to mothers, and inspire children. Since then, you may have seen his TED Talk. It's received over 1.1 million views, and it's entitled, What I've Learned About Parenting as a Stay-at-Home Dad. You may have also seen him in 2018 on a commercial, a Pampers commercial with John Legend as they celebrated dads during the Father's Day season with a tribute to everyday moments. Without further ado, here is my guest of the day, Mr. Glenn Henry. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Glenn. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. No, I'm super excited to have you. I don't know if your ears have been buzzing at all, but I can't tell you how many people I've told about you since Patreon. <laughs> and I love, first of all, and I don't know if you realized this at the time, but I accidentally attended your session because I saw someone that was standing next to you that I had chatted with the day before. And I really didn't realize that you were the speaker in your session. I was planning on going somewhere else. And then when we start chatting, I was like, this dude is dope. I think I'm going to sit right here. And then I was like, I'll split my time. I'll sit here and then I'll go to the session that I wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, I was like the last person. (laughs) Like I was one of the last people hovering around when you were done because I was so blown away by what you shared. And it spoke so much to some of the things that I just really want my community to know about. So Man, first of all, kudos to you. You killed it. And I put in my review that you should have been a main stage speaker. Wow. That is amazing. I, I'm really honored. And I definitely surprised myself. I try. I was hoping the, the smaller amount of people that were there, the more comfortable I would be. So I was really hoping that nobody showed up. No. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, it's, it was a concept that really wasn't flushed out yet. And so sometimes when you have these ideas, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You are releasing your genius. Exactly. Right? You know, like it's, it's hard for you to actually think that other people will understand because the concept may not be, I may have it in my head, but I'm not able to flush it out in the correct way. So I'm glad that everyone who stuck around and peeped in really got something out of it. And so. Oh, Yeah. Well, okay. So here at Redefining Wealth, we don't believe that wealth is just about money and material possessions. We believe it's also about well-being. And what we do is flush out six foundational pillars. And one of those is work. And work is about living your life's purpose. But my true desire as well for my audience is to help them earn more without feeling like they have to chase money. Yeah. And I believe that your process for releasing your genius. When I heard it, I was instantly like, oh my gosh, if more people heard this, they would understand what I'm talking about, (laughs) like in this work pillar. And so thank you so much for saying yes to being on the podcast. It truly, I know you're about to kill it again. So let me just let you have at it. But can you tell us about belief in fatherhood and the platform for the genius you've created? And I want you to especially start with the question that your wife asked you yeah, and how that was the catalyst for where you are today. 
Yeah, sure. So 2015, it was May, close to my birthday. My wife asked me to tell her a bedtime story. And I didn't feel like telling her a bedtime story because it was 11 o'clock at night. We were both ready to go to sleep. And so she said, well, if you can't tell me a bedtime story, well, tell me your five-year goals. I just kind of, you know, mumbled and was like, "Eh, you know, whatever God has for us, trying to take the easy way out. And she said, she looked at me and was like, I trust you with my family and my future. And you don't have five years planned out, rolled over and went to sleep. And from that point, I could not sleep. I was kind of stuck in this moment of like, yo, she really just called my life to a halt. And she tested everything about my manhood. And I wasn't as much insulted as I was scared because I didn't have an answer for her and her her concerns were right. You know, she was, she was entitled to feel that way. And so that question is really what sparked the movement that I have now, which is belief in fatherhood. I was doing music at the time. I know I didn't want to do music forever. And so I sat down with a friend of mine and he asked me, uh, what was my five-year plan? I said, I don't know. He said, what's your 10-year plan? I said, I don't know. He said, what's your 15-year plan? And I knew that I didn't want to be doing music. And so I said that I wanted to be speaking to kids about how great it is to be a father, right? I knew that was something I needed because back growing up in Baltimore, I never wanted to be a parent or a husband. But when I moved out to California and I got a close-up view of what a really healthy marriage and family looked like, I was like, oh, all I needed was proof. So I knew that I wanted to be proof for other people. I didn't know how. He helped me understand that in 15 years that if I worked backwards, I could do this plan, but I needed to find my audience. So he said, who do you want to be speaking to? I said, well, in 15 years, these kids are probably in middle school or high school right now. He said, okay, but where are they? I said, they're in school. He said, no, where is their attention? I said, it's on the internet, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, okay. Well, how often do you need to post on those platforms over a 15 year period to grow to a hundred thousand followers, let's say. And I was being modest. And I said, okay. So we looked at some blogs and we found that it was, you know, four times a day on Twitter, once a day on Instagram, once a week on YouTube at the time. And so I said, he said, okay, well, if you follow this plan in 15 years, you should be where you want to be. And I said, okay. And so that was the plan. I decided to start a YouTube channel called Belief in Fatherhood. And two years later, I'm exactly where I thought I would be in 15. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. What a friend. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's a friend. He's a guy that always asks challenging questions. And I'm saying like, hey, I want to do music. He's like, okay, well, what happens if it don't work out? He's always, so I knew that was the guy I needed to go to. So I owe him a lot of money for sure. <laughs> yeah. You do, because now you're on commercials and doing all kinds of stuff. And you know, when people see you on TV, they expect you to have some coins and <laughs> run them some shit. We know what that really is though. Yeah. Um, okay, so can you, I've been curious about this since I met you. Why is belief B-E-L-E-A-F? Yeah. So as an MC, my name is Belief Melanin. I had the name Belief Melanin because as a kid, I wanted to be white. (laughs) I grew up wanting to be a different color. And so Belief Melanin is like, just believe in the melanin, believe in who God created you to be. I spell it B-E-L-E-A-F because the word belief is, has the word lie in it, B-E-L-I-E-F. So I just switched the word out and changed it to something a little more natural. I'm like super, like a natural type dude. Ah, oh, man. And I identify with that too. Just growing up, trying to scrub my skin, seeing if something else was under there and going through all those challenges. I love that. I love that you switched up the spelling. So that's cool. Okay, so 
Love that your wife challenged you too. When you yeah, said that, when you said that in the session, you know I wanted to flip the chair in front of me and, and run around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely one of them things that's kind of like, you know, men kind of get taken aback by it. Women are like, yeah, you know what I mean? And so you know, I was texting my husband. I was like, yo, no, we meet all the time about this type of stuff and what the vision for the family is. But I could just imagine being in that space and your wife, she was about it, about it. I salute her. And now that I watch your YouTube channel all the time, tell her I said, what's up? No, okay, <laughs> I will for sure. So what you talked about at Patreon was these five stages for releasing your genius. Yeah. And I just really want to give you this time to break down what these stages mean. And then, of course, I have tons of notes from that day and just things that I'm sure will come up. I'll just, let's just talk about it because I truly think that it was brilliant. And I can't believe it wasn't something that you hadn't been delivering for years already. It was that good to me. Thank you. I appreciate that. So the first stage that your genius stands on is an idea. When you have an idea, it's the best thing ever. It's like euphoria because in your mind, your idea is already through to fruition, like it's already complete. And so say if you want to make rings out of wood, you don't think of the ring being processed. You don't think of what it's going to take to make the ring out of wood. You just think about what it's going to look like on someone's hand. And so when we have an idea, it's already complete in our mind. And it's the best part of an idea because uh, it doesn't take any risk. The budget is great. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Unlimited. Right. Everything's everything. All the lighting is perfect. When you see it in your mind, in the video, like everything's great. Mind you, you didn't do anything yet, but you just had a thought. The second stage that you have to go to is releasing your idea, your genius to your ability. Now, this is where things get kind of tricky in the beginning of your genius because You may not be good at making rings out of wood. You may not be good at playing the guitar. You may not be good at selling oils or whatever it is that you want to do or taking pictures. So your brain and your ability have to form a relationship together where your brain trusts your ability and your ability trusts that what your brain is giving the ability is not too much or overwhelming. So this is where people talk about the 10,000 hours to become a master at something or being someone who can produce something on a, on a consistent basis. That's the second stage of your genius. Okay. So stage one, your idea stands on a stage in your mind and your brain cells go wild. Dopamine goes on sale. Everything's perfect. Stage two is when your brain has to trust your ability. Stage three is when you've started the idea, you've kind of made a, a schematic or made a rough version of it and you give it to an audience of one or two, that trusting friend that you have could be your wife, could be your husband, could be a friend, your mom, whoever. And this person is someone who you trust and they tell you, hey, that's a great idea. Or you might want to take that back to the drawing board or they say, you know, I hate it. You know what I mean? And then uh, from that relationship, because that's the first person you trust. And usually we trust this person more than we trust our ability. You know, we trust our friend more than we trust our ability sometimes. And so depending on what happens in that relationship could make or break your genius. Well, Uh, Glenn, wait, but don't you think sometimes we'll trust that person's opinion more than we trust our own vision? Yeah, of course, because in our mind, we see it and we see people loving it. And that is a part of our vision. Mm -hmm. But when we know the people who we find the most valuable and we give it to them, and they put their eyes on it, that's their vision, and they don't see our vision. So we get frustrated with, oh, 
you don't like it. Oh, it's stupid. Oh, okay. We get our feelings hurt and it can destroy our process. Yeah. So it's important for that first person you have to be someone who may not be a creative, but at least is an encourager or is someone who's going to challenge you to match your personality type. So someone may not respond well to being like, man, I think that's a terrible idea. Run that back. But other people might be like, well, you think it's a terrible idea, but what, what do you think is terrible about it? Well, how can I make it great? And then you know, you'll have to run it back and, and take it back to the drawing board. So I just want to unpack this even more because I feel like, you know, as we think about the stages, I love that, that everything starts with an idea, right? And yeah. like you said, in your mind, you see the best possible version of this thing. I mean, the Mac Daddy version, it can have no wrong. Like yeah. you, you see it. And then you do have to release it to your ability. Do I actually have what it takes or am I capable yet? Or what do I need to go and learn? But that stage three audience of one or two is probably responsible for so many ideas going to the graveyard with people. Yes. Because that audience of one or two, while they may be people that you love dearly and who love you, if they are not your ideal audience, they can take you out. Like if they are not going to be the people benefiting from this vision or they just lack vision of their own and they say enough of the wrong stuff, that can make or break you. But also if you're not coachable, and it is the right audience, and they give you some feedback or constructive criticism that you weren't anticipating. Like, if you're not built for the feedback, you can also just, again, do nothing with it and then go to the grave. But it was really like your thing. Like, that was the thing that you were supposed to do. Exactly. And so I'll give you an example of this. Now, stage three is very important in in the beginning of your genius, but it's only a temporary stage. After you become, you've honed your craft, you don't show it to anybody anymore, right? Here's a for instance. So I started Belief in Fatherhood. Everybody was looking at me like, yo, you rap. Why are you doing this? You don't hold the camera well. This didn't keep my attention. My wife's like, yo, my bra's hanging up in the background. Why you got our kids all out and exposed? Like, <laughs> clean the house. You're ashy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, everything is wrong with it, right? So my thing in my head is that I'm sitting here, like, hearing all this stuff and considering it, but I know there's a huge gap in the marketplace, and I know that people need it. So it's not my responsibility to get my third stage to believe in my idea, right? Mm. That's, that, that's not what I'm responsible for. My thing is I can't blame my wife for her lack of vision when I haven't manifested anything. Ooh, you got to say that again. (laughs) I can't blame my wife for her lack of vision when I haven't manifested anything. So many men are dreamers and they say, my wife doesn't believe in me. And they find someone else who believes in them and they put more trust in that relationship. But what have you really given your wife to believe in? You know what I'm saying? Like you haven't really manifested anything. It's only dreams and only talk. So you have to make something. It's really important for us to manifest our dreams so that people can see it or touch it and feel it and say, okay, now I get it. My wife didn't believe in it for the first six months until she started looking at the comment section and she started seeing people say, yo, I've never seen a black father with this family. I've just never seen it. Thank you. Like I I didn't want to marry a black man because I never saw this. Now I believe that black love is real. You know what I'm saying? And so when she started seeing that, she was like, oh, okay, I get it now. But I would have ran myself crazy if I was like, babe, look, please, listen, we can do this. Do I have your permission? Can I do this? 
My thing is, I'm not responsible for her lack of vision. I'm responsible for manifesting something that she can believe in. You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, that's the no. word. Now, at this point, because she trusts me, because I've already have, I have equity in our relationship and she trusts me, even with my visions, she's like, you have a thought, I'm moving out your way because I may not get it and you don't have time to explain it to me. Just go ahead and make it. And I see it when it's done. Well, I, I, I trust you. Fourth stage is our audience. Now, this is the most important stage our art stands on because it's when the people actually get use out of what we've created. It's when we play the guitar or we play the piano, we make a song and someone hears it and they get inspired and they take it. This is one of the hardest stages, though, because when we release our art to our audience, it's no longer ours. They take it and they make it whatever they want it to be. They sample it. They refer back to it. They use it as part of their workout routine. We never really want to release our art in that way, but it's the most important place because it's, it gets the most value, right? Mm-hmm. This is what happened when our views, uh, someone listens to your podcast and they're like, you know, this really changed my job. This changed my life. It changed the way I interact with my family. It changed my marriage. It changed my, my finances. So they're taking the podcast or whatever it is you're creating, you're speaking and they're saying, that's my word that no longer belongs to you. I'll take that. And I'm going to use it as the DNA of the next five months of my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so when we give our art away to our audience, they take it and they do whatever they want with it. This is the perfect place. This is where our genius is meant to land. Fourth stage. Fifth stage is virality. That's when people who are so far out of our target audience are now getting attached to this and saying, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Or, hey, you suck. This is where we receive the most amount of criticism and we pick up the, the biggest amount of growth. Virality is what our audience does with what we have, what we create. Okay. okay? So that's the five stages. Your mind to your ability to your friend or your you know, audience of one to your core audience to virality. And I think that the reason this spoke to me so much is because I was sitting there as you were going through the stages and I was thinking how many of us do not have the results that we desire because we skip stages. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Skipping a stage. Let's say like I just talked about, I want to go from my mind and I want my wife to believe in it before I give it to my ability. So basically I'm asking my wife permission to go through my creative process. Right. I tell my wife, hey, I got this idea. This is a painting that I have. Moses, right, has a staff and the staff is like doing something crazy. And my wife goes, you don't have a paintbrush. (laughs) right?" But I'm like, no, no, listen, the colors are crazy, like pink and all these like bright colors. And you can see the burning bush in his beard and it's like nuts. Right. No. And then she's like, but you've never been to art school. Yeah. Like you, you never painted before. You don't have a canvas. We don't have space for that. Mm-hmm. When are you going to find the time to do that? Mm-hmm. Now, this is not my wife. She hasn't done it to this degree. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it happens. It happens all the time. It happens to, to many of us. Right. I don't have time for that. Babe, we got to make money. We, we, have to, we, have to make, we have to pay these bills. We have kids. This. You're right. You're right. I, I really don't have time to flush that out. Right? Or you, I, I can imagine the response being... To your point, what was I thinking? Yeah. I think that's the one that stops people right there. When they have something in their mind, they share it with someone else. 
they haven't gotten to release my ability. So they haven't said, well, let me sign up for the class or let me read a few books or let me try my hand at this. They've literally just went to getting the idea, running and telling someone, right? Skipping the stage three. And then when they respond in a way that we're not pleased with, we go into, especially if you have failed at things in the past. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah, because we're all very aware of our own shortcomings. We're aware of our lack of discipline or procrastination Mm. or the things that we tried that didn't work out or the things that we never completed. We're aware of that. So as soon as someone plants that seed again, we're like, what was I thinking? Or they remember the last time you didn't do it. Right. And they bring it up. (laughs) And then you had an idea that got you into an argument or got you like hating someone that you live with (laughs) for a moment. Dang, you always destroy my dreams. I'm I'm just sitting here trying to daydream and I have an idea and you just always got to say something. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I know that sharing the idea with someone in stage three, how long do you feel like you should be in stage two, kind of assessing what your abilities are before you get to a place of sharing it with someone? How do you know when it's too soon to try to share? You know, you don't. This is between you, your brain, and your ability. That's why that's the most important relationship. You ever heard somebody named Ice J.J. Fish? Mm-mm. Okay. He went viral, completely viral, because he sings terribly, right? Yes. Now, he doesn't know he's a bad singer. I don't know if he's, like, tone deaf or whatever, but he went completely viral over this video he did. It was terrible, but he thought he was the man, and it was like... People laughed at him. Like everyone laughed at him. It was like, it was kind of sad, but he's so arrogant that you just kind of like, I don't even feel bad for this guy. (laughs) Uh, But he's one of my biggest inspirations (laughs) because of his confidence. He is completely confident. He's so bad and completely confident that even when I'm thinking like, man, this could be better. I know that it's better out than it is in my head. Oh, come on. You know what I mean? Like it's better that, I have a halfway idea that's kind of out because people, my core audience will take my scraps and they will be inspired by those things. You know, if I write a song or I I write a song and I'm okay, Jack Conte did this uh, thing one time. He said, art isn't complete. It's published. You can always add another brushstroke. You can always add another kick or snare or change this or change that to a piece of art. When you think about things that are completed, you think about football games, basketball games, Because there's a time that says, hey, we're stopping now. You think about meals. All the food is gone. So that that means we're done. When you think about art, it's never finished. It's just published. We just publish it early. So I have songs that I've just published. Hey, this is all I had. This is the most amount of time I could give to this song and I'm ready to release it. Oh, man, it should be longer. Well, guess what? You can make it longer. You see what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) you can't make it longer. I gave enough time to that. I'm done with it. I, as an author, I completely identify with this because mm. what I've told people over the years is a completed book is better than no book, mm. right? An unpublished book. And over the years, I've had people send me, you know, little messages. There's always that one, Glenn. There's, al- there's always one or two a year that will be like, I found a typo on page 96. Yeah. And da 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 da. I can't believe this was on the shelves of Barnes and Noble. And mm. I'm like, Realize that you said shelves of Barnes and Noble, though. Yeah, like, that's what I need you to understand. Because if yeah. I read 
this book over and over and over again, trying to find every little tiny mistake, I would really be doing a disservice to my audience because how many tens of thousands of people have now been blessed by that work? Right. And sometimes we get so caught up in those small details, that extra brush stroke or that extra snare, that extra beat, that at the end of the day, if we're blessed to be a blessing, we are preventing other people from being able to experience this because we're caught up in perfectionism. Yeah. And at some point you got to release the genius. Exactly. You got to let it go. It's super important to let it go. So your question was, when is enough time passed mm-hmm. in, in the, the ability stage? And that's not really none of my business in your situation. That's your business. What can you do with your art? I started Belief in Fatherhood with three broken iPhones that people were going to throw away, but the camera still worked. So I took them and one GoPro. And with that, I have, you mean, you won't, I got like six cameras now. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. hip hop is taking like the scraps in the, the small pieces of an instrumental where a beat loops and a DJ spinning it back and forth. Like that is hip hop to me, like taking nothing and making it something or taking scraps. So if you give me three iPhones and a GoPro, this is what I've used with it. What happens if I get $75,000? You know what I mean? Like, let's believe I'm stretching that thing all the way out and we're going to get every little penny out of that. So where your ability, how long your ability holds on to that art is between you and the ability. That's a process you're going to have to go through. And it's really only, you only know that because of what's in your mind. What did it look like in your mind? Ah, that's good. Going back to your original vision, what was the movie in your mind? Exactly. And so maybe your goals were too high. The ring didn't have to be on Tyra Banks' finger. (laughs) You know, maybe it could have been on Judge Judy's finger, or maybe it could have been on, you know, somebody who just lived down the street. Right. What's the the intended goal? You know, I love that you said that because it makes me think about people who get stuck with this over pursuit of education. I don't even know if that's really a thing, but like where people get so caught up in the ability stage that they never move to action and actually complete anything. So it is, I got to take this course. I got to go to this class. I got to get this certification. You know what? I'm just going to go back to school. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and get the advanced, advanced, advanced degree. By the time you do all of that, so many elements of the movie don't even exist anymore. Like people are not even doing that thing anymore. Or so many people have already done it and moved on that you will be coming to market so late. And people will be like, what are you you talking about? Twitter's gone. Did you not know that there's no more Twitter? You know, it's like at some point you have to get out of the ability stage. Like, and I've learned one, that progress beats perfection. Mm-hmm. But to stop making things freaking harder than they have to be, not yeah. saying that it does not take work and effort and countless hours and stuff. But I know that there are different times, been different times in my life where I was just completely overthinking it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, like if you think about it like that, the most important thing you can do if you have something to give is introduce yourself to your audience. Let, let your audience find you. But if you're sitting there, going back and forth between your brain and your ability, your audience doesn't have time. Like, you know how many people come up to me who don't have anything out and say, hey, man, I want to start a Patreon page. How do I, like, who's going to follow you? What are you talking about? You, you didn't risk anything by putting anything out. You want the security of Patreon with no buzz. That's crazy. 
you didn't risk anything. And that's okay. So that's number four. Releasing it to your audience is a big risk. It's a big risk. But you're allowing people to say, I like this or I don't like this. Or, yo, this would be dope if you had more funding. Let me support you. Because everything in this thing is a relationship. Your brain has to have a relationship with your ability. Your ability has to have a relationship with that first point of contact for them to even get it. Your ability and the idea, the genius has to have a relationship with your audience. Like it's a trusting relationship. They trust you to give you, to give them something. They know that this podcast is coming out. They know that you're working on this podcast right now, even though it's coming out in January or whenever, Mm -hmm. you know, like they trust you with their time. And they say, I'm going to put my stock in this person because I know I'm going to get something back. So it's really just a trusting relationship that you're building. What do you think prevents people from taking the risk? What are the risks associated with actually moving into the space of releasing to your audience? It's everything. The first point on the presentation was what's the biggest fear as a creative? And I th- my, my uh, synopsis is the biggest fear creators face is the moment that we are standing on stage, fully vulnerable, sharing our art. And for some reason, it doesn't go as expected. We are rejected and rejection is a personal attack on our confidence, our dreams, and most importantly, our genius. I think people fear being unsuccessful slash rejected, or they actually fear being successful and falling. That's the one people don't talk about. Yes. And I I suffer from that Mm -hmm. fear of being successful. And then, you know, I'm I'm a great dad on YouTube. And then my son turns 18 and be like, man, that dude was never like that in real life. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's the most ratchet thing that can happen. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like I'm on my P's and Q's right now, like trying to be the man that I say I am. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that that is. That's huge, right? Is the fear of not living up to who you say you are mm-hmm. to your audience. Yes, indeed. And, and I think fear is the one thing that fear is interesting because you respect fear. And sometimes fear actually is what pushes you to make certain decisions. Or, you know, if you're scared of something, then you probably should do it. But at the same time, it's so much about fear that that's interesting because I realized that as a 25 year old, or as, as a 23-year-old, unmarried dude, I had time for fear. <laughs> I was able to use that as an excuse. But as a father of three and a husband, and a lot of people, depending on my success, I don't have time for that. That is irritating and an inconvenience. I did my first TED Talk last year in October, October 26, I think it was. I was terrified. And they knew I was terrified because they have a guy backstage watching you to make sure you don't run. And this dude was on me. I was, I was super scared and I was unprepared. Everyone had like three months to prepare their speech, but I was like a last minute addition. So I only had two weeks. And so I had to prepare this thing. And right before I got up on stage, I was like, you know, how you get the bubble guts and you just sitting there like terrible. And I just prayed. I asked God to move me out of the way. Yeah. I asked him to, go get his people. I told him that being nervous is a sign of pride Mm -hmm. because you, you, you claim what you're doing is yours. And so I just said that prayer and I just watched him literally move me and just go and be me for me. And it was amazing. And so fear will do that to you. And mind you, when I got to DC to do that talk, 
I didn't have the money to stay in the hotel. Like I barely got there. And so everything that was on a line, I wasn't supposed to be there. I couldn't afford the trip. I left my wife with three kids and I had this one opportunity to make something great. And I was like, I'm about to blow this. And I've risked so much to get to this moment. And I just was like, I don't have time for this. And I watched like God move this thing out of the way. The TEDx talk came out. It got upgraded to TED. Mm. And so you know, it has like over a million views and I'm basically trying to relate to fathers and mothers about how challenging it was to become a stay-at-home father. And it's one of the better things, it's one of the best things that ever happened in my career, so. Wow, wow. I love that. I love that you would share that because oftentimes people see folks like you on a platform like that and think that it comes easy. Oh. And think that, you know, you just were like, you know what, let me just get on up here and tell, <laughs> tell yeah. them what it is. And I tell people all the time, when you see me on things, be clear there. My knees were knocking. My teeth were chattering. My pits are probably sweaty at this point. I did not just get up here and do it. But I also I've said this on the podcast before. Sometimes when I look at videos of me from past, you know, appearances on TV or a speaking engagement or whatever, I can see when it's not me anymore. Like it's me, Mm. but I can see kind of when. I will say the Holy Spirit takes over. Yeah. Because yeah. there's just the first 30 seconds or so is always a bit shaky. <laughs> yeah. Like, even if I'm smiling or I tell a joke, it's just really to help me get over the hump. And then I feel a complete disconnect. I don't know if you've ever felt like at the end of something, I don't know what the heck just happened. Yes. You walk up know, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, I know that I like, I know because I was prepared, like I know what I wanted to say, but I truly don't have a full recollection of everything that happened until I watch it back. And even when I watch things back, I'm like, whoa, I had no idea I said that or that I used that example. But point, I pray before, like God, remove me and Mm -hmm. speak to your people. Like whatever I'm supposed to say in this moment, in this time, in this space, then you use it. And so when I hear myself say different examples, things that I, I don't even like have any connection to, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah that wasn't me because I'm not even that wise. <laughs> right. right, and I feel like that 100% of the time. People ask me where I go to, where I went to college. Like, I didn't go to no college. Like, <laughs> where I went to edit, how did I learn to edit? This is like literally you're watching God manifest things in me. This is ridiculous. And so I'm just as much in awe as everyone else. But I have to remind myself, like the biggest thing about, what I'm doing is that I don't have it all together. That is my formula. I'm figuring this thing out. I'm figuring parenting out. So it makes me look way more relatable. Yeah. I'm really just trying to understand what's happening in the process it is to be a father. Cause I really don't know. Sometimes I think I'm doing the right thing and I'm not. But when I write my book in 10 years about all the secrets I've learned in fatherhood, you'll trust me because you walk through that season with me. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you about stage number five with the virality. Um, You talked about it introducing you to new opportunities, but it also brings on new critics. So when you are being authentic, when you are saying, look, I'm not the guru here. I don't call myself the expert. Time will still tell, you know, based on how my kids turn out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm doing the best that I can. And I'm just making a commitment to show up every day. And then people are like, you suck. You're whack. This is dumb. What are you doing? How do you deal with the critics, especially on a platform like YouTube? Yeah. And, you know, they come 
all the time. They are always around, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're going viral. It's kind of like, man, dang it. Ooh, <laughs> but dang, man. Like, man, this AdSense check about to be nice. But dang it, man, I don't feel like dealing with this, you know. With the trials. Um, yeah, they're so they're so mean and like unnecessary. Yo, this obviously ain't for you. Why'd you click on it? Or right. like, why did you even say that? I mean, you're talking everything from calling my kids names to, you know, saying I'm going to leave my family to all types of stuff. And then it makes it uncomfortable for my core audience because they're like, yo, I don't want to see my people treated like this. But this is the beautiful thing about that is that, one, you have a core audience. You have a type of person or person this content is meant for. And that's really the thing to focus on. The most important thing is, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to, I mean, my relationship with virality, it's a distant relationship. Like I I understand what you're here for. You're here to expose me to people that have never seen me before and also bring people who aren't intended for my stuff my way. You're here to actually test me and encourage me, right? Mm. That's my relationship with virality. But because I have such a great relationship from my brain to my ability, I don't care what happens at viral. I'm manifesting the things that in my head and I'm making them turn, I'm turning them into something. You can't tell me that isn't brilliant. I had an idea, a thought in my mind. For instance, perfect example. I was on Snapchat, right? Snapchat is an app that does filters and tells stories and all that stuff. I fell in love with a filter. This one filter I would play with, I'd become this character, Frank. Frank is this old guy who just always think he knows what's happening. I got the idea from Frank because I went viral. Frank is someone who doesn't like me, but likes the kids. He's always discouraging me and lifting up the kids. He's a hater. Now play Frank. I am Frank. And I play the version of Frank that the trolls play when they come to my channel. I turned, I had an idea to make Frank and, and, you know, do this thing, but Snapchat took the filter away. So I got frustrated with that and I had to manifest it. I had to make something out of it. So I said, I'm going to build a puppet. I'm going to get a professional puppet like Sesame Street quality Muppet created. And that's just what I'm going to do. I started doing the research, didn't tell my wife, started doing the research, found out it was going to be $2,000. Now I would have just went ahead and swiped it, but I, tr- my wife trusts me and <laughs> I don't want to break that relationship. So I had to tell her like, babe, I have this idea. This is what I want to do. I know this is a lot of money, but I have this in my head. She said, babe, I watched what you did with belief in fatherhood. You could do whatever you want. I trust you. Now, that is very encouraging for someone who's in the part in, in the midst of their genius and also very scary because if I spend $2,000 on this puppet and it doesn't turn into something, I have to come to her and apologize. And I don't want that. Mm-hmm. So I'm even, I'm going, I'm going even harder at this point. So I'm paying payments. I'm getting this puppet bill. We're going through the process back and forth. He's sending me sketches. He's sending me molds. He's sending me uh, the phone posits. He's, he's sending me everything that he's doing. And I'm getting scared. It's getting closer. More money's getting flushed out and it's getting scarier because it's becoming more real. Five months later, I get the puppet. It's at my house. I realize I don't know how to puppeteer. <laughs> I'm struggling to get through having the puppet look real. Like I'm moving the mouth, but it doesn't look real. You know, it's, it's a whole art to t- making something that isn't alive and making him a thing. And so I spent a lot of time practicing. This is me in the middle of that, right? You ask, how long does it take you to your ability to work with something to make it, you know, how, how do you know? I didn't know. And it, it was very, very hard. Now, some people have been puppeteering for years. <laughs> some people go to puppet school and they learn how to do this. I didn't do that. 
I just watched the internet and I practiced. And as soon as I felt like I was good enough to get through an episode, I shot my first episode and I put it out and it was received well. People understood what I was trying to do and they couldn't wait for the full manifestation of it. Mm. Right now, we're in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign trying to raise money, $75,000 for Frank. I think we got 15000 right now. I'm about to go through the whole Facebook sponsored stuff and run all that stuff and, you know, try to get more traction and go viral. But I already know what I've committed to because I took a Snapchat filter and turned it into a lovable character that I hope to educate young black kids with. Yeah, Frank is dope. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And so with Frank, if I would have said, hey, I have an idea to take the Snapchat filter and turn it into a puppet show. I need $75,000. Who's going to support me? Like people would have looked at me like I was crazy. No one, no one would have got behind what I was doing, but because they've seen what I've put into it already, they know the process they're watching. They trust me. And I believe we're going to raise the money. We got 30 days. I believe you are too. But what I love about you taking us through that process too, is that even when you get to the point now where you still experience critics who are like, what is with the puppet? And the, you know, what is all this? This is dumb, whatever. For you, you have already seen something in your head and brought it to fruition. Yeah. So your opinion of what my process has been is none of my business. <laughs> like yeah. that's about you possibly not having a vision for your life and being able to bring it to life, but you're not going to dampen my situation. Right. Like, is that is that kind of the tone or the attitude that you take? Like, look, I've already seen this, taken a Snapchat filter idea and turned it into this entire movement. So why would I let your opinion? Yeah, I think I think part of the thing is it's a bandwagon situation. And that's the hard part about having an idea or being a creative person is that the people who are around you don't know you're creative yet. Mm. They actually won't believe in you. Because they don't have the foresight to see brilliance in front of them or see innovation. They only see what you're trying to do and how much is frustrating them. Mm. The hard part about that is that your mom won't get behind it until she see Will Smith retweet it. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Or see you on the Today Show or Good Morning America. You know, they won't actually care until you get a cosign from someone they respect. And Um, yeah, that is okay. I think most of us try so hard to get everybody. And I actually don't want everybody. I want less people to find me. I only want the people. I feel like my art is a privilege. If someone Mm. has a negative thing to say about my channel, I hide them from the channel. I delete them, block them because I'm inviting you into my home. I would never let you speak to my wife or my children in that manner. And so I'm deleting you from my life. You know what I mean? What I'm doing right now is a privilege. I feel like a very small amount of people uh, should be able to see it. I would be, I wish I could block it from being on people's, certain people's uh, computers because I really do feel like I'm doing a service to the world. I feel like I should be protected, you know, by the community. I honestly feel like that. There's not a lot of people risking their lives to show what their lives are really like and exposing their children. Like that is risky. And I'm not going to be doing it for a long time. So people really should, appreciate it while it's here. What a great outlook though. I love that. My art is a privilege. Yeah. Like you are absolutely right because any one of us as creators 
could really take our content and share it with the selected few and go on about our business. Yes. Like the fact that you open it up and anyone who's able to stumble upon it somehow through some possibility sees it, like it's a privilege that you got to see it. Don't play yourself. <laughs> yeah, like, this like don't like- play yourself. Like, and, and back to the fact that it is such a great risk. And my thing is the people who are the loudest critics are not really taking any risk of their own. Yeah. You know, it's like, where's your page? Where's your podcast? Where's your book? Where's your talk? Where is your speech? Where is your, like, until you can get out here and take a stand for something that you truly feel called to, then we don't get to have this conversation. Block, delete, goodbye. <laughs> like, uh-huh. And, and I yeah. usually have to remind myself, like, oh my gosh, like, I'm reading this. This is actually stealing from my creative ability because uh-huh. your creativity comes from emotion. You know what I mean? Like the most creative I've ever been is when I've been hurt or when I've been like in a state of euphoria. That's when I feel like I'm most creative. And so I need to be able to protect my creative energy by not spitting my emotion in, in wasteless places. If I need to have a hard conversation with a friend, that's totally different. But if I need to talk to you about why you should like my movement, no. Okay, you don't like it. Awesome. Here, let me help you not like it by blocking you. <laughs> Oh, I, I might have make sure this never comes up in your yeah. feed again. So yeah, like, oh, I might have come have around. To lose any sleep. You know, you're risking, you know, potential. I don't want them. I don't care. I don't care. I don't want everybody. All I need is a thousand. All I need is a few. And Ooh, the, that and man, few, that's a word. All I need is a few. And that's the thing. I think everyone thinks to be successful in their space, they need a million followers. And that couldn't be furthest from the truth. And, and you know what's crazy about that is is like I'm a very like small time person, so like I need all the time I have with my friends. Right now, after we get off the phone, I'm going to counsel a brother. When I woke up this morning, I do a call me. I, I counseled him. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have a hundred thousand people, I can't counsel all these people. I really want to be able to affect these people. And so when they ask me a question, and I get you know forty five different questions. I can't answer. I don't have the time for that. Why? Because I have three children that need my time and they need their questions answered individually. My wife has concerns, her mom, whoever, like we have all these people we're responsible for that we're shepherding. And like, we want everybody like, it's just so selfish. Mm. I do not, I do not want that. I realize right. That when I was an MC, when I was rapping, my best supporters, the people who like my stuff the most were other rappers. Now, that's awesome because it feels like, oh, man, like I got so much love, but they also don't buy records. So everybody respects me, but I'm broke. (laughs) Well, I know that my value then is that I am the influencer's influencer. You know, I have the responsibility to encourage the guys who everyone looks up to. And that's I'm like, cool, I'm going to be that guy. That's it. And so I know where my value is. I don't want everybody. Belief in fatherhood is not for everybody. Frank Puppet ain't for everybody. But when it's for you, it's really for you. And it goes deep. Yeah. And I feel the same way. Redefining wealth is not for everyone. Yes. I am a thousand percent okay with that. Oh, man, Glenn, you are so dope. I just feel like it was such a divine appointment (laughs) that I got to sit in your session and witness you release your genius. Before I let you go here at Redefining Wealth, we do these rapid wisdom questions at the end. And I'm going to ask you a few questions and just tell us the first thing that comes to mind, okay? Okay. How do you define success? Success is when you 
trust yourself and are able to provide off of that trust. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Time well spent. Oh, I love that. Time well spent. Good. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Ah, I got to add that to the list. Good. Fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Glenn, and the truth about wealth is that it's for everybody. Indeed. Yes, it is. Man, thank you so much, Glenn. This has been great. This has been truly a great conversation. Thank you for teaching us the stages to releasing our genius. I'm super excited about how the audience will be able to take this and run with it and possibly see why in some areas of their life or they haven't really gotten the support that they wanted. Could have been because they skipped some steps. Yeah. I hope that your audience, whoever's watching this, would find uh, hope in being able to commit themselves to the ideas that they have in their head. I feel like it's the most valuable thing we can do is trust our brain and our brain trust our ability. And I'm definitely open to coming back if there's any other thing I'll come up with. (laughs) I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Patrice. Okay. Didn't I tell you that Glenn would be amazing? Have you ever thought about, especially for my creators, my creatives, These five stages of releasing genius. I truly believe that for those of you who feel stuck and you feel like no one ever gets you and you feel like you can never make progress, that there is a possibility that you have been trying to skip steps. And I just knew I had to have Glenn on from the moment I heard him deliver this talk because I know that it's going to make the difference between you just making resolutions again and actually getting results the ability to truly trust your brain and trust your ability. And one of my big takeaways is not blaming your loved ones for lack of vision when you haven't manifested anything yet. (sighs) That was so good because while we do need the input, right? We also have to follow the other stages so that they get the best picture of the vision possible. And I know it's really tempting to go out there and try to describe it before it's ready, but you also can't hang out in that area forever. You know, what I love about these stages is I think it's pretty fluid. You just want to move on to the next, onto the next, onto the next. You can't get stuck in any one place, but you got to touch it at some point. So shout out to Glenn Henry and his wife, his beautiful family. And you may have heard him say several times that he has three children. However, the cat's out the bag. He actually has a fourth bundle of joy on the way. So there will be a new addition to the Belief in Fatherhood channel uh, sometime this year. So congratulations to them, he and his wife, Yvette. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really, really want to hear what you thought about these stages of genius. Have you been guilty about skipping stages? Have you been guilty of focusing more on perfection than just pushing publish? And how many people are suffering because you won't move and get out the way and just keep it going, right? There's so much to unpack here. If you are a purpose chaser, meet me over in our community. Let's dissect this episode. Let's talk about it. You can hit me up in social media, Seek Wisdom PCW. Seek Wisdom PCW. If you haven't yet subscribed or rated or reviewed this podcast, please do so. It really does help us out. 
I would love if you gave an honest, really, really high review. I'm just going to throw that out there. But now I would love to get your review and stay tuned. I want you to subscribe because we're going to end this series next week. So part six comes next week and I can't wait for you to hear the end of results, not resolution. So stay tuned. We'll be back next week. And I'm so honored to have you on this journey with me until next time. I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.